0: The sound of praise for your Sunday morning.
1: The only one who could ever teach me, me.
0: Introducing Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center.
1: Was of a preacher, man.
0: And Rabbi Joseph Petesnik of Religion on the Line. The
2: only one who could ever teach me, me.
0: Now on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Rev and the Rabbi where faith
3: matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Tasman, And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Well, you said Joseph differently today. What's what's, what's the story? You
2: know, I want to make sure that, you know, you know I have different identities and trying to keep you off guard. And and if any creditors are listening.
3: (laughs) I was trying not to say anything, Uh, okay? I'm trying to keep you, protect your cover there, Rabbi.
2: uh, (laughs) You know, Albert Einstein said years ago, he says, there are two things I believe are infinite. One is the universe, the other is ignorance. He says, I'm not too sure about the universe. (laughs) <laughs> uh, i gotta tell you something uh the more we talk about the vaccine and the refusal of some people to take it i am really concerned about the ignorance level i just don't understand why people would oppose saving their own lives as well as other lives i don't well, I, understand I, a religious
3: exemption i well, you know i, I w- there are two types of ignorance that we they're at play here there is there is culturally induced ignorance and Mm -hmm. that's where there are so many ideas voices uh information that inundate people and they don't know what to choose they don't know who to believe one group says you know it's a conspiracy it's the mark of the beast another group says no it's science You know, and and we we have to work through that culturally induced ignorance. But then there's willful ignorance where people just choose to be (laughs) ignorant. And that's a problem.
2: Well, when you see, you know, what's going on in states where people are not taking the vaccines, what more empirical evidence do you need? When you see people who uh, are rushing to hospitals, uh, getting on ventilators, some not making it, what more do you need? What does it take to convince you? You know, uh, are you going to be convinced by all of the, you know, the Google searches, some of which and many of which uh, are false? Or are you going to believe what science, how science does change, it does evolve. But that's a good thing, you know.
3: Yeah, that's a power of fear, Rabbi. You know, there's some believers, I'm sure you have it in the Jewish community as well, uh, who don't understand the relationship between science and faith, that they're not opposed to each other, that God created all of this, and he invites us to learn and grow uh, how to use these things, Uh, you know. So I, I was talking to one uh, uh, reverend friend of mine, and he said, you know, remember when Moses had to lift up the serpent mm-hmm. in the wilderness mm-hmm. on the staff, and people had to look at it in order to be healed, and there were some people who refused to look at it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but when you see people around you dying, what more does it take to convince you? That that's that's what I find so shocking. Here, uh, you and I were participants with Cardinal Dolan in a press conference with the mayor, talking about you know uh, faith, science, the importance of you know sacred, also meaning safe, providing vaccines for people. Uh, yeah. I I've never. I've never heard an argument that would change my thinking on this. And and frankly, my belief in my faith has strengthened uh, mm. my opinion in the importance
3: of a vaccine. Absolutely. And, you know, all of our faith traditions teach us about the solidarity of the human family, which makes us our brother's keeper uh, under all circumstances. I, I mentioned it at the press conference, you know, and solidarity is, is about people working together towards the common good, especially when we're talking about about the collective health of society, you know, community.
2: As you're talking, I think of that famous verse, you know, I give you life and death, choose life. Ah, And you think to yourself, why does God have to say choose life? (laughs) Right? That should be an automatic. (laughs) And yet, when you look at what goes on today, there are people who don't, you know, choose life uh, freely. They got to (laughs) be, you got to be coerced to do it. Uh, And, uh, you know, I just think, it, it is so,
3: it's so damn destructive. How how does your faith tradition explain that? How does it explain, you know, this idea that we tend to even when we are, um, what's the word, you know, cautioned about self-destructive behavior, I, we, we, we still engage in it. You know, why are there laws to tell us to slow down on the highway, don't drink too much, don't take drugs? How does your faith tradition respond to, to that aspect of human know, when, nature? You know,
2: when you look at the story of creation, it says that the man or humans are born with potential. Some fulfill, some don't. Uh, it doesn't say they're born as sinners. It doesn't say they're born as evil. They're a question mark, and I think there are some people who have this notion that somehow it's not going to impact them. It's someone else, but not them. They're invincible. I walk by a hospital, and I see someone smoking in front of the hospital, and I think to myself, really? What does it take to convince you? So I I just think there is – it's almost a – it's a human weakness, Uh, and we just have to do everything we can, which we're trying, to tell people – if you really are a person of faith, then you are a person who will vaccine. There is no excuse for not taking that vaccine.
3: Yeah, um, yeah. We, it's about the common good. It's yeah, about sure. the health of the general public. And, you know, if, 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 if you're not immunized, and then, and then they get upset when you tell them, okay, well, you can't do this. You can't do that because you may expose others, um, you know, to the virus. Uh, Because you have the potential of catching the virus without a vaccine. And people don't care. Look, America is a nation founded on two things, according to the founding documents. Equality and rights. And the rights part of it, Rabbi, has become a form of entitlement. Well, but what about uh, my rights? (laughs) What about my rights to live? You know, when you're
2: dead, you don't have freedom. Uh, So I, I just... Uh, I'm just astounded by, you know, I think Einstein was right. Ignorance is infinite, but we can't give up. By the way, obviously, uh, people tuning in want to hear a discussion on what's going on in Afghanistan. We're going to do that uh, in a few moments. We have a special guest who was in Afghanistan, who's covered it extensively and has much to say about it. So please stay tuned for that. Uh, Let me talk to you about...
3: 5%. Yeah, I was going to say, before we go there, um, uh, you and I were talking earlier this week about the installation of a new chaplain at Harvard. Mm-hmm. And I thought chaplain was someone who represented a religious tradition. I didn't know that a chaplain represented atheism. And the new chaplain is atheist, from what I understand.
2: You know, when I read the story, I thought years ago I met a wonderful rabbi named Boris Silverstein. And he said when he would preach and he would see someone nodding off, sleeping a bit, he wouldn't think to himself, that person is tired. He would think to himself, what am I not doing to keep that person engaged? And I think the challenge for us is, why are we losing people to this secularism, to this humanism? What is it we're not doing that is not connecting with people that we need connected to us? And I think that, that's, that becomes the question
3: here. That's a deep question because I don't think people are leaving God. I think they're just trying to find a better explanation, a better understanding of the big questions. Um Like what does it mean to be human, mm-hmm. what does it mean to live in this right. world? why am I here because yeah. as they yeah they they look at what you know what 's the purpose for life what 's the meaning of life and because as they look around and they see uh, so much pain and suffering yeah. i I did something uh rabbi I, I I took a look at the major religions uh Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, and at the core, each one of them attempt to address suffering and death. Mm -hmm. They address it in different ways, you know, but that's the big issue that spawns religious meditation, contemplation and reflection, the whole issue of suffering and death. So, you know, I, I, I get it. I understand if they feel that the answers that they've gotten are not sufficient, but to turn in the other direction because atheists have a hard time with with concepts like love, faith, hope, uh, they have trouble with those things, Rabbi.
2: Well, if there's no God, there's no to me. There's no higher accountability, and therefore, you know, subjective rule is operative. Uh, I can do what I think is good, uh, and I decide what is good for me. But there isn't that idea that know before whom you stand, and one day you'll be held accountable for your deeds and misdeeds. we got to take a break here. Uh, when we come back, Reverend, we're going to talk to someone who, to me, uh, is really a, a repository of critical information, especially during this time, of what we see going on in Afghanistan. I'm
3: talking about Jonathan Wachtel. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll be back with more of the Reverend and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC where
0: faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
3: Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, we are honored today to
2: have someone who was with us before, but brings such a wealth of information at this critical time. I'm talking about Jonathan Wachtel, who is a global affairs analyst, a journalist. Uh, he was a special policy advisor to Ambassador Kelly Craft, Director of Communications under Nikki Haley. Uh, he was in Afghanistan uh, covering uh, the 9-11 period. And uh, Jonathan, thanks so much. Jonathan, let me begin with this basic question. Obviously, we're watching a devastating debacle uh, in Afghanistan, and everybody's saying, you know, this is losing. My question to you is, what would winning look like? How, how, what would a victory look like? Is that at all possible?
1: Well, arguably, a victory was actually taking shape in a painful, slow process. But over the course of 20 years, we had made remarkable gains in terms of uh, stabilizing uh, portions of the country, in terms of giving women an opportunity to actually uh, be a part of their society. Uh, in terms of uh, putting an end to the, the combat portion, the heavy combat portion of our activity in Afghanistan. We hadn't seen a casualty in, in a long time, and unfortunately now we're seeing casualties because of these attacks. Uh, so we, you know, it, it was not a sweeping success, but it was somewhat stable uh, compared to the horror show that was taking place just before 9-11 when, when you had, Al Qaeda running around and plotting to destroy us, then nine eleven, and then our our combat uh, in the country trying to oust the Taliban control and and rout out uh, Al Qaeda elements as best we could. So I, you know, arguably we were in a much better place than we had been in a couple of decades.
2: So uh, if that's the case, and we saw what was happening, and other presidents saw what was happening, why did we wait so long to take? allies, those who stood with us, why didn't we take them out earlier if this was going to be the ultimate exit?
1: That is the million-dollar question. Actually, that's the multi-billion-dollar question because uh, that's the monetary uh, loss that we're facing in terms of our weaponry that's been seized by the Taliban uh, that was left uh, essentially for them to just grab and, and, and enjoy. Um and uh it's it's a it's a major question overall. why was this not more methodically uh worked out? And even when we had telltale signs that things were going terribly bad, uh why didn't we put in place some contingencies that should have been devised to figure out how to navigate through what were going to be extremely challenging moments? And it was clear that's where this was heading. It was clear before even withdrawing that that we would be encountering some real reverberations and somehow if the contingency plans weren't in place, they weren't implemented properly or there was too much naivete in terms of what the ramifications might be, despite despite all the warnings.
3: Yeah, Jonathan, I I was having trouble with my microphone, I apologize, but uh, I, I wanted to go back. You know, this this crisis in Afghanistan goes back some four decades from the Soviet war, you know, to the Taliban uh, recapture. Uh, Give our listeners an idea, uh, a quick overview of that history, how all of this conflict developed.
1: Okay, well, um, I'm going to go pretty quickly here. So the Soviet Union got involved in Afghanistan largely because they were very concerned about their muslim republics the republics like uzbekistan kazakhstan uh azerbaijan turkmenistan Kyrgyzstan, of them and and other regional areas being influenced by the islamic revolution uh hmm. which had taken hold uh in iran and though that was predominantly a shia uh, issue it was one that really rattled them because the soviet union was always concerned about insurgencies amongst their the Muslim population and, and populations overall. And they also enjoyed a level of control within Afghanistan that, that they wanted to continue. And Afghanistan happened to be one of those flashpoints of the Cold War. So they felt very strongly about the need to be in Afghanistan. They essentially fought against the um, what was called at the time the Mujahideen uh, mm-hmm. and Osama bin Laden and other like-minded um, Islamists, uh, jihadists, tried to oust the Soviet Union and ultimately succeeded. And the irony of all this is that under the Carter administration, uh, uh, there, there was a lot of money being poured in because this was a view of Brzezinski, uh, the, uh, his key advisor at the time, to try to bring down the Soviet Union as best we could. Uh, he was of Polish descent and understandably very opposed to all things Soviet because Poland had been held under Soviet rule, uh, and uh, we essentially supported the Mujahideen in ousting the Soviet Union. And then, as a result of all this weaponry and training and uh, energy behind the Mujahideen movement, you ended up with a situation in which the Islamists took over and the Taliban took over, and they invited al-Qaeda into their midst and, and gave a safe haven to some of the worst terrorists on the face of the earth. And then we saw 9-11 hit us and hit us full force. And we had no choice after a few incidents of trying to uh, put an end to al-Qaeda activity uh, to go in in force. And at the time, I was a young journalist and really excited uh, that we were finally going to do something uh, to take on the bad guys who had hit us so hard on 9-11. And I, I actually witnessed the, the attack. So, you know, it, was, it is personal for me. And we ended up going in there with our special forces and, and allies supporting us and, and got rid of the Taliban and, and uh, definitely shut down the open and free ability of al-Qaeda to uh, hurt us uh, in, in uh, formidable ways. Uh, and, um, and then the rest is the last 20 years of trying to create a more normal, viable Afghan society and keep the Taliban at bay and ensure that the country would would play a constructive role uh, amongst nations and amongst peoples. And uh, now we find ourselves in this uh, major predicament.
2: Speaking with Jonathan Wachtel, global analyst. Uh, Jonathan, given the Soviet defeat, what's in it for them now uh, beyond America you lost and we're here?
1: Uh, I, you mean in terms of the Taliban?
2: What's in it for Soviet Union now getting engaged with the Taliban?
1: The Russians have always uh, looked upon Afghanistan as, as their backyard. It butts up to several areas that used to be part of the Soviet Union. I mentioned a few of those countries. I didn't add in Tajikistan, and maybe I've left someone out. Um, but it it still remains a backyard issue for them. They want to always have sway in that area because they see Afghanistan as a hotspot that can then erode their uh, geopolitical ambitions. Mm-hmm. So having a hand on the way things move in Afghanistan is extremely important. And they have maintained a, a relationship with the Taliban out of the pragmatic need to do so, but also out of a geo political necessity, because yeah. as long as that was going on, it was a way to ensure that there would be pressure put on the United States and our agenda uh, and geopolitical ambitions would be kept in check. So uh, it's it's got an element of duplicitousness. It's got an element of uh, odd bed bellows. It's got an element of uh, kind of a a, a scary uh, aspect of this, because there's an amoral aspect to it, but at the end mm-hmm. of the day, it is very much geopolitica- geopolitically motivated.
3: Mm. So, uh, so uh, you know, some compared it to Vietnam and the last twenty years. Uh, what happens now? We, we we pull out, and we could talk about the fact that you know we may have uh, approached this uh, in, in an incorrect way, especially pulling out the troops before we get the citizens out. But what happens now? Do we leave a vacuum that will be quickly filled, and it takes us in back into a cycle that we've been through with this part of uh, the world over the last forty years?
1: You know, we're gonna. It's hard to predict exactly, but the best prediction of future behavior or future situation is to look at history, and history tells us that without uh, positive influence. Uh, from from nations, Afghanistan essentially falls under the sway of the worst possible elements. And that's what we're going to see. That's the, the violence uh, we, we've seen as of late. and And sadly, it's it's a sign of what is going to come over the course of the next weeks, months and years. And unfortunately, we're going to end up in a situation that is probably not dissimilar to what we're seeing in some other failed countries around the world, such as Yemen or Libya, in which you have this festering uh, terrorism. Uh, terrorist groups are buying for control. Uh, the Taliban, in this case, oppressing. Uh, women and uh, free thinking and what we all enjoy in the Western world, it, it's, it's going to uh, diminish increasingly as time goes on. And, and the, the frightening prospect is that we could very well see uh, a resurgence of terrorism outside of Afghanistan's borders, uh, because the, the basic truth is there's going to be a safe haven for some of the most nefarious types out there. And those guys then will travel across the poorest borders of, of uh, um, Pakistan and other areas and make their way into um, capitals of, of major countries, Western countries. And sadly, sadly, we could face um, uh, another wave of, of terrorism. The, the good and news important. in all this, yeah. if there is such a thing, is that at least we Diminished the capabilities of Al Qaeda. We've diminished the capabilities of ISIS uh, on such a, a grand geopolitical level for them. Uh, but, you know, they, they can regroup and, and they indeed will have a, 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 a at least a place to be able to not have to deal with constant monitoring, monitoring of, of the United mm-hmm. States.
0: Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Batasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk- Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCradio.com.
2: So, Jonathan, I drive by the United Nations many times, see all the flags. I uh, hear all of the resolutions against Israel. Someone said recently the international community is watching what's going on. And many of us, uh, it was a a laugh, you know, sarcastic laugh. What is the international community doing? What should they be doing? What could they be doing? And they're not doing
1: the international com- community should be trying to create a unified front to not recognize the Taliban as the government in, in Afghanistan. And the, the biggest concern here is that, unfortunately, given the large block of uh, countries that don't look at the situation as you and I and Reverend look at the situation, it, it just. Is um, it, it's just uh, going to be a, a next to impossible thing to try to get something like that in position? And really, what should be happening is the world should be uniting to condemn the Taliban, to demand mm-hmm. an end to the violence, to not give uh, the Taliban a seat at at the General Assembly, and to tighten the screws on 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 the. I mean, essentially, the Taliban is is a is a band of tens of thousands of uh, uh, guys who have no tolerance of any other religion other than their own and no tolerance of the values of democracy and other uh, values that, that we all cherish and we want for the people of Afghanistan as well. So by giving recognition to this terrible, vicious band, we're essentially doing a disservice to humanity.
3: Jonathan, I, I love what you said right there because people in the United States, we, you know, have felt removed, protected by uh, an ocean to the west and to the east, and that's no longer true. Your point that this creates a place where things can go on unmonitored, which means we have no idea of the capabilities or the capacities that are built up over time that become a threat. Uh, not just to the region, but but globally, and I think it's important for you know our listeners to to understand uh, the the big problem that exists with that.
1: That's that's exactly right. This is uh, not a problem that's just over there. This is a massive country with massive uh, quantities of places for bad guys to hide and concoct all sorts of horrible things to. To do to uh, good people around the world, and we have to hope that uh, it, it doesn't return to the level of menacing that we saw prior to putting the Taliban out of power, uh, mm. but we really are in a very precar- precarious place right now.
2: We're talking with Jonathan Martell, Global Affairs Analyst. Uh, Jonathan, could you distinguish for us Al-Qaeda and Taliban? Some people use them interchangeably. Tell us the distinction.
1: Al-Qaeda is a uh, terrorist network uh, that has organized um, um, enterprises around the world. It's truly a global terrorist organization, and its members are from all sorts of countries, whereas the Taliban is a predominantly Pashtun ethnic um, band of uh, militants and terrorists uh, who um, want to ensure that uh, Afghanistan is is an Islamic emirate and and want to uh, maintain uh, Sharia law within the country and mm. have the strictest um, rules and mores of Islam imposed on the population and and be an utterly islamist society intolerable of of other beliefs and religions and ways of life so that is essentially the the difference and the reason they have been bedfellows is because they ideologically have many things in common
3: yeah and it's not that they just want to be left alone um this ideology is to be propagated around the world. They want to see this ideology spread, and they're doing everything they can to spread it in ways that we may not even be aware yet. So it's not like, you know, leave us alone, let us believe and practice what we want in terms of our faith in this little space that we have. No, um, they're they're evangelistic in their notions, correct? Mm -hmm.
1: That is right. uh, They are very much into exporting their ideology. And an ideal world would be a world that embraces uh, all that they believe in. And there would not be any competition. And anybody who stands in their way is perceived as the enemy, Hmm. including moderate Muslims.
2: Yeah. So, Jonathan, question people ask recurrently. We were there for 20 years. We speak proudly of American intelligence. How could we not see this coming? That's that's such a big question,
1: and that's the question that President Biden and his advisors need to answer for a long, a very long time, because we have lost our ability to monitor the situation in at least a uh, effective way. We've lost our ability to actually have a regional presence that would have made it easier to monitor Iran. And we have essentially abandoned uh, allies, people who really believed in us and depended on us in the worst possible way imaginable. So we have blown it on so many levels now with what is happening over the course of the last weeks. It is difficult to assess Just how bad the impact of this decision-making and terrible execution of the decision have left not only our forces, uh, people uh, in the region, but internationally, uh, this, this has every ability to affect many peoples around the world for a very, very long time.
3: Jonathan, how do we respond to the promises? There was a press conference on the 17th of August and, you know, the Taliban spokesman promised inclusive government security for aid agencies that are coming in uh, and the embassies, women's rights uh, to work and go to school uh within their interpretation of Sharia law. How, how much confidence do we put in statements like that, promises like that?
1: So I uh, spoke the other day with an Afghan journalist friend of mine, and she was systematically burning any record that she had of actually working as a working journalist and uh, doing anything other than being a a normal woman uh, trying to live her life. To hear that story tells you everything you need to know about the nature of the Taliban. Hmm. and to hear them speak in terms of what you just said hey trust us sure they do don't want to have issues internationally who would want to have that but at the end of the day i look at this sort of you you know the um i I don't know whether it's an aesop's uh fable but it's certainly a common one of the frog and the scorpion in which a scorpion uh, sees a frog and says hey um Can you take me across the river? And the frog says, (laughs) "Um, but you're a scorpion. And the the scorpion says, don't worry, just take me across the river. Because if I bite you, we're both going to die. And so the frog naively takes the scorpion across the river and midway, the scorpion stings the frog. And uh, the frog, of course, is going to die and know he's dying and they're both going to sink. And the frog says, why did you do this? And the scorpion says, because I'm a scorpion. It's in my nature. Mm. (laughs) This is the reality that we're contending with. And if you listen to what they're saying, you have to know that what is happening underneath, the actions that matter more than the words, Mm. are the scorpion.
2: Yeah. So, Jonathan, uh, coincidentally this week, uh, Prime Minister Bennett of Israel uh, at the White House, talk about... What this all does to realities on the ground in Israel. Because there are those who are saying, when you pull out, be very wary, be very worried about who's coming in. We see what happened in Gaza. We see what happened in Lebanon. What's your reaction to that?
1: I would be very cautious if I was any nation, including Israel, on thinking that the United States has your back because the basic truth is, we have seen a couple of situations in which that has been abundantly clearly not the case. So Israel needs to take a posture that it's on its own. And the decisions it needs to take, it needs to take from a strategic and national security perspective, period. Depending on the United States, given the optics of what we're seeing today, I just think it would be a very foolish thing to do. Now, that said, America remains a ally of the, of Israel. It's a wonderful relationship. There's wonderful military cooperation and intelligence cooperation and that must continue. But if this hasn't shattered uh, shaken confidence, um I would I'd be very surprised.
2: So, Jonathan, uh looking ahead, it I mean Dismal is uh, is being euphemistic. It is so damn depressing when you see what's coming out of Afghanistan now. Do you see any possible hope here for going in a different direction? Do you think there's any way... I mean, you don't see the Taliban saying, you know what, we need other countries. We can't survive without other countries. Or that thinking doesn't go, you know, on that level.
1: The Taliban is going to have a real governance issue because the money is not going to be flowing in like it used to before. So I guess you could say that money is going to become a a factor and might serve to contain some of the chaos and some of the concerns that we have. But that might be the only hope at this, at this juncture. And you know, there's a hope that maybe Hamid Karzai who was once the president of Afghanistan, just after the collapse collapsed, the Taliban. Uh, he's, he and Abdullah Abdullah, who is in his cabinet, are trying to work out some sort of um, common ground between the Taliban and Western nations. I, I, I am not convinced that's going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the biggest thing that we have is this monetary thing that to to actually govern, you need. Finances. You need some sort of energy and, and money behind what you're doing. Otherwise holding power is going to be extremely difficult.
3: Yeah, you know, I, 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 I again, you you mentioned looking back at history, looking at the trends, we can somewhat predict the way things are going to turn out and it it, it, it doesn't look good. I, I I'm not hopeful. Um I don't know if you are, that things will turn around. What is, what is it going to take? But I think for now, the important thing is to create as much safety as possible for those individuals who are there and get them out of harm's way. Would you agree?
1: I would agree. And we unfortunately, I the only way I could describe this is the situation we're dealing with right now is we opened up a can, a tin can, and there are some very sharp edges to it. And somehow we ended up with our hand inside it. (laughs) And the question is, what do we do now? Do we rip our hand out and and suffer the the wounds that are going to leave scars? Or do we stay in the can and try to cut our way around the can to free ourselves? I would lean more on the latter. Um, Right now we're on a trajectory to do the former, and that's what we've been doing. And, uh, we're just going to have to see where this plays out, um, as, as dreadful a situation as it is. And I want to add one other thing because it doesn't just end, end with this geopolitical brinksmanship and, uh, terrorists and all that. It's also who is going to control the mineral wealth because Afghanistan is loaded with all sorts of resources. Who's going to step in and, and control that? You know, this, this has, a whole bunch of ramifications mm. that go beyond just terrorism and, and trying to uh, bring a sense of democracy and a country among nations. It has to do with resources and, and geopolitics on, on all sorts of levels.
2: You know, Jonathan, Some time ago I met uh, UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, and I mentioned you, and she turned to me and said, I love Jonathan Wachtel." Uh, I can understand that sentiment. Uh,
1: Well, thank you very much, Rabbi. uh, I really appreciate it.
2: Well, someone said better to discuss something without resolving it than to resolve without discussing. That's why I think these discussions are so, so critical, to understand the depth of the issue and hopefully try to see a way where, you know, maybe there will be a a better path, but at least understand the situation we're in now. Reverend, he's very, very special to us.
3: And uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, I love um, how clear and articulate he is in explaining the situations because there, people have questions. They yeah. want to know how does this affect me. You know, it's it always comes back to that, uh, and we can't feel, we can't have this false sense of safety as though we're removed from these things because they're happening on, you know, some faraway part of the world. Yeah, we've, well, we've seen we have seen are now the global yeah, village. We've
2: seen that 9-11. What happens elsewhere yeah. can happen here. All right, Jonathan Wachtel, thank you so much. Look forward to Gentlemen, seeing you.
1: Gentlemen, thank you, thank you so much for uh, helping to educate your listeners, and, and may we all find the right way out of this
3: morass. Okay. Yeah, please. Thank you, Jonathan, for being with us. We'll be back
2: with the concluding part of the Rev and the Rabbi. WABC.
0: Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Petasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCradio.com.
2: Welcome back. I'm
3: Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Great conversation, uh, Rabbi. Jonathan's spot on in his ability to clearly articulate the issues and cut to the chase. And and to explain it in layman's terms so that our audience, our listening audience, could really grasp it. Because some of this shoots over the head of, of, of you know, the everyday uh, uh, American citizen.
2: I'm glad you use the word conversation. Because one thing that's lacking in our society today is the ability to converse, communicate, cooperate, mm-hmm. all the Cs. Um, yeah. We just, you know, we have our minds made up. We get our you know, factual, supposed factual sources from, you know, favorite venues, favorite platforms. And there's no need to listen to the other. And I think Jonathan brings such a wealth of experience, of knowledge. Uh, he's extremely articulate. Uh, and we need more of that kind of conversation, as you said. So uh,
3: You know, it's easy uh, to get stuck on your own opinion, which is a form of idolatry, if I may use a religious mm, term. Yeah. And too, too many of us make idols of, 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 of our ideas uh, that have not really been proven or, or even carefully examined. The omniscient. Yeah, and, 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 <laughs> too the much omniscient of a human being. We pick
2: up. you know. We, <laughs> yeah. we, we always think God is omniscient. Now humans think they're omniscient. Some of yeah, them, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. All right, let's, I think we've, we've discussed it uh, at great length. Let's take a moment now. Uh, we have a new sheriff, a new governor. Uh,
3: <laughs> yeah, Kathy
2: Hochul. Kathy Hochul. Uh, you and I have known her for some time. And look, mm-hmm. I know we're going to get partisan, you know, in the ongoing months. But right now, this is another chapter. Where people need to listen and learn from one another. Um, yeah, this, this yeah. we'll have the time to fight with each other, but right now we need to heal uh, and head forward. So I, yeah, I think she I think has so she has the you know those ingredients. She's a great listener. Uh, she really comes into a room and she wants to know your concerns. She doesn't seek to impose her concerns on you, uh, and yeah. I like that.
3: It's, and she's a person of faith, you know, yeah. Um that evening I text her to tell her, look, I'm praying for you, you know, as you navigate all of this. Uh, she called me right back and she said, you know, Reverend, <laughs> you text me at a time that I too was praying and just yeah. asking for God's guidance and his wisdom uh on how to take on this challenge, you know, and, and she's not looking to, you know, convert anyone, but to bring the values and concepts that her faith tradition gives her about the common good and the life and dignity of the human person. And that's important. That's yeah. what we
2: need. Yeah, she called me, but I couldn't take the call. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was on the phone with the UN Secretary General. I just of, I couldn't of get off talking about the situation. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think back. My dad, who was in retail, had uh, a supermarket. And near the scale, he always had the Bible, the book of Proverbs, open, you know, on. Un- Equal scales are unacceptable. One of the passages, I think, in chapter 21, verse 3. But the idea of your faith being very visible in the public mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kathy Hoko, from what I know of her and her family, she's comfortable talking about her faith. She doesn't hide it. She doesn't right. camouflage it. She's a person of faith. And I'm comfortable with people who are comfortable with themselves in that, in the faith environment.
3: And, and, and Rabbi, know how to translate it into the context of the marketplace Mm -hmm. and uh, social issues and politics, because some don't know how to translate it. They don't know how to apply their faith, uh, take it out of a religious context, and show how it works in a social context, because the principles uh, are transcendent, they're universal, and they're about the life and dignity of the human person and the common good.
2: You know, the prophet said years ago, A person must live by his or her faith. It's not enough to just be knowledgeable. you got to go beyond that. you got to live by it. And by living by it, you also help others live with their faiths. And I think uh, one of the things we have shown in America, one of the proud achievements, is that you and I can be in the same room, the same arena, the same table, with our different Bibles, and yet have total respect and reverence for one
3: another. And the traditions, absolutely. Hey, I am going to give you a verse. Let's see if you know it. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Micah, or as you uh-huh. as you
2: Christians say, Micah.
3: Micah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we say Micah. Micah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs>
2: that's the that's essence. That takes the major, you know, directives of religion and encapsulates them into a few words. So, uh, yep. if all of us will follow that, uh, we'll certainly find ourselves in a better place. Great conversation today, Rev. As always. Yes.
3: As always good to be with you Rabbi to have these kind of conversations bringing guests who enlighten, inspire, illuminate and uh you know really communicate what this program is about. It's about conversation, civil conversation, being informed and inspired and enlightened.
2: Well, I'm yeah. proud to be with you in this program and we thank WABC for making it all possible. Next week. Absolutely. We'll be back with more of the rev and the rabbi.